and welcome back to the Parenting Win Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Jacobus, and this is episode number six. Today I had the honor of interviewing a very special guest who is changing the game of sports in not just the U.S., but the world. John O'Sullivan is the founder and CEO of The Changing the Game Project and author of two number one best-selling books, Changing the Game, The Parent's Guide to Raising Happy, High-Performing Athletes and Giving Youth Sports Back to Our Kids, and the book Every Moment Matters, How the World's Best Coaches Inspire Their Athletes and Build Championship Teams. His work has been featured by CNN, Outside Magazine, ESPN, NBC Sports, and numerous other media entities. John is an internationally known speaker for coaches, parents, and youth sports organizations, and has spoken for TEDx. John is also a former collegiate soccer player at Fordham University and has coached at all levels of the game, including youth, high school, and college. He currently coaches for the Bend FC Timbers, an affiliate of the Major League Soccer's Portland Timbers. John resides in beautiful Bend, Oregon, and his with his wife and two wonderful children. So I reached out to John after my husband came home from refing a hockey game, feeling super frustrated and saddened by the poor sportsmanship displayed not only by the athletes, but the coaches and the parents in the stand. What was most striking to him was the feeling that the game has changed from when he was a high school player. He shared that if you talk to a ref like that when he was playing, your coach would bench you. But sadly, what my husband witnessed that night and what he sees most nights is that poor sportsmanship is on all levels from the parents, the coaches, and the players. So to join me in my conversation with John, I invited a special co-host, Ryan Elliott, to assist me with the interview. Ryan is a father to three amazing boys and also the husband of one of my very best friends. In addition to his full-time job, Ryan has held the position of Director of Technology for his own town's Youth Sports Association. During this time, he authored and implemented software that has successfully eliminated long-documented issues with team distribution and skill discrepancies for town sports. Ryan has also enjoyed coaching his son's soccer and basketball teams. He is the creator of the Airplane and Flapjack. And if you've never heard of either of these things, just know that I will most likely be sending Ryan the bill to when our children have their first ER visit. I'm so happy that Ryan has been able to join me for this conversation and provide insight as a parent and coach involved in youth sports. All right, so here's our interview with John O'Sullivan, author of The Changing the Game Project. So it's truly an honor to have you, John, here on the show today, and I really appreciate your willingness to share your knowledge, your passion, your vision for youth sports to our listeners. And today I wanna also thank Ryan Elliott for co-hosting with me. It's great to have someone who's both participating in youth sports as a coach, but also as a parent to add to the discussion. So today I like to start each and every episode with putting my guests in the hot hot seat. (laughs) So what's one thing you swore you would never do as a parent and yet you have done? 
Well, you know, you, you, you teed that one up for me and you sent that to me ahead of times. And like, I, I had a really big list of things that I swore I'd never do and um, had to whittle down um, to one. Um, and, and so this is something I, I screw up often, which is when it comes to sports and my kids, just letting the sports experience belong to them, right? Let it be their journey instead of um, layering in all the things that I think, oh, they could be doing this or, or should be doing this. And, and so um, I always promise myself, I, I, you know, I have no unfulfilled dreams. I, I just want, you know, my kids to love sport and get something out of it. And then navigating that line between like, uh, you know, you've committed to this thing. So you have a certain level of commitment that you have to fulfill with, Hey, this is your experience. So do what you like. And, um, yeah, I cross that line often, sadly. <laughs> it's interesting to hear you say that someone who has, you know, written this book all about that topic. So tell us about who John O'Sullivan was before he wrote Changing the Game and how did you find yourself leading this movement of youth sports? Yeah, so I was a, a Division One college athlete, a professional soccer player for a real short while. Uh, I got injured, had a couple injuries and I had to stop playing. And so I got into coaching and I quickly fell in love with coaching. I remember, you know, when I, I had taken the LSATs and I was going to go to law school and I was like, there's no way I'm going to law school. Like that sounds like the least interesting thing I could possibly do right now with my life. Um, so I got an opportunity to coach uh, college soccer and at the university of Vermont and then really liked that. And that was sort of my first foray into, okay, like I'm doing this full time. I'm doing this as a living um, so I did that, coached youth for a number of years in Vermont and Michigan and, and then in Oregon where I live now. And sort of 2011, I was kind of burnt out with it. My own kids were getting to the age where they noticed that dad's never home for dinner because he's always coaching someone else's kids. Um, you know, dad's not home for holidays because he's taken, you know, teams to college recruiting events and, I decided I needed to sort of change a pace. And so I took a break and, and thought about what I wanted to do. And then I really felt like, well, I've always wanted to write a book. And I feel like I, I like to do research. I feel like I have some experience to share. And um, yeah, so I, so I wrote that book, Changing the Game, started a blog around it, and then it just took off. And I think it was just this timing of where many parents and many coaches were looking for permission to kind of push back against the the general direction of youth sports especially in North America where rising costs rising commitments earlier specialization all these things were leading not to you know better kids but like burned out and injured kids and so I felt like I could speak to that as a parent as a longtime coach as someone who'd coach players who you know represented their country and played professionally and also coached a lot of young kids who just got joy out of the game. Um, so yeah, and you know, that morphed into a Ted talk and now my own podcast and just my second book, every moment matters. It came out like a month ago and a month and a half ago. So yeah, it's been a quite the journey. Great. There was a moment that you mentioned in your book where you realized that youth sports needed to change. Can you can you talk about that moment and was was it that moment or were there many moments that that led you to that 
I think there's always, you know, there's the great fable of the stone cutter who hits a rock a hundred times and nothing happens. And then the hundred and first blow, the rock breaks, right? And uh, it wasn't the hundred and first blow that did it. And so to say that there was one thing, one time that took me from zero to 60, no. But I, but I do remember you know, standing on the sideline, watching my, my daughter's six-year-old team play, watching, you know, the funny six-year-old soccer and the giant scrum of players and they can score in both goals and they're equally happy and there's no referees and parents are positive and everything's great. And then next door, there's this 10-year-old boys game that was the opposite. Right. It was, it was, you know, parents screaming, coaches screaming, everyone's yelling at the ref who's like 13 and, um, you know, kids making mistakes and, and putting their heads down. And there was like no joy in the game. There was just fear and stress. And because all the adults were competing harder, not necessarily the kids. And so that was kind of a moment for me where it's like, wow, does anyone like, how, how do we go from here to here in four years and how can we maybe change that? And so that was definitely one. I don't know if that's the incident you're thinking of, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that incident was really striking to me. And I know Ryan has shared many of those same incidents with me and just like, can you, can you believe what happened? And I'm always appalled to hear some of those stories, but what was really striking, striking to me when I was listening to your book, because I didn't have time to read it, but I did listen to it, was there was a lot of similarities between your book and positive discipline. I'm not sure if you're familiar mm -hmm. with the positive discipline parenting approach, but mm -hmm. specifically with regards to just how we should communicate with our kids and, and also about asking parents to reflect on their actions and how their actions contribute to developing the values and skills that they would like to see their kids develop as adults through sport. So can you talk a little bit about how a parent's actions leads to developing both the negative and positive traits in kids? Yeah, I mean, I think in a nutshell, the most important thing to remember is, right, kids hear what we say, but they remember what we do. So we, you know, we can't yell and scream, relax, because that's you know, they're, they're seeing us not relaxed. And so I think when it comes to sport, if we can be this model of, you know, things that matter, like patience, diversity in sport, um, trying different things, um, <clears throat> demonstrating our own passion in, in sport or activity, these things are all helpful. You know, it was really interesting. I was uh, working in Ireland a year ago or so and uh, working with rugby over there. And their director of sport development said something to me that I hadn't really thought of before, but it was super interesting. He said, you know, a generation ago, when most people had kids in their early 20s, their children were born and they went out and watched, let's say, dad play rugby, right? And so dad was still a rugby player. Now that people have started having kids 10 years later, right, most dads are not playing rugby at 32, they're playing golf, they're cycling. And so that early introduction to many of our team sports that kids would naturally get by watching their parents participate has changed, right? And so we have to kind of model it in a different way because it's not them necessarily coming out to our game anymore. 
maybe it's, you know, us supporting them by coming out to their game. And so I, I just think this is a really interesting thing to, to think about, but you will, your, your kids will constantly repeat what they see from you. So we have to just be really intentional and mindful about what we say and what we do at their games. Absolutely. It is, it's interesting you say that because that was sort of the motivating factor in me reaching out to you is I think I had mentioned in an email that my husband had come home from roughing a hockey game and he ended up having to give several penalties out for sportsman misconduct. And Mm -hmm. what was interesting about that was the coach and the parents were also, you know, yelling, screaming at the refs. And so it was definitely coming from the top. And yes, the student's behavior was not appropriate, but, you know, he was, he was receiving that same modeling from, from his coach. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I think, I mean, when we get to those ages where <clears throat> kids sort of as a collective start getting riled up about bad calls, it often starts in the stands. It often starts with parents disagreeing or coaches disagreeing before, you know, the players are, you know, they're tired. (laughs) They're sprinting around. They don't have time to yell back initially. Um, And so I think this is, this is the thing that, you know, I think it would be really hard to make the argument that if we removed all the parents from that arena, we couldn't drop the, the temperature, the frustration, a few degrees. I, I think you'd be hard pressed to make that argument in almost any youth sports environment, which is sad because it doesn't have to be that way. Right, right. So some parents listening might be thinking, my child's not going to be a superstar athlete. So maybe we should be spending less time playing sports and more time doing something that they're more likely to have success in. But in your book, you talk about the importance of physical literacy. Can you share a little bit about what, what you meant by this and the importance of it? Yeah, sure. So, so the, so the, I, obviously the idea of physical literacy would be um, the ability to run, jump, catch, throw, track, hop, skip, things like that, right? So um, movement, uh, you know, the, the ABCs of, of movement and you know, first of all, right, if our first grader was struggling with running, we'd never say, uh, or sorry, with math, we'd never say, oh, well, you know what, she's just not good at math, forget it, we'll move on to reading, right? We, we'd say, wow, this is an important life skill. And, and so I think um, from that perspective of, um, you know, movement, you know, a lot of times when kids, you know, don't show this athletic ability early on, we look at it and we say, oh, well, you know, he's just not an athlete, but these are learned skills. And for some kids, they come very naturally. And for some, they take uh, some time to develop. And so it's really important that as parents, we, we get them moving. Now, when we attach that with the research that says active children one-tenth the obesity rate, active children, 40% higher test scores, active children, more likely to go to college, less likely to do drugs, more likely to raise active children of their own. Um, And we look at some of the research around, um, or some of the data around giving kids a PE class before um, subjects that they struggle in. Um, 
all of a sudden it's like, you know, what activity does, what athletics does, what movement does is it primes the brain for learning. So even if you're like, you know what, my kids doesn't show a lot of great athletic ability, but boy, is he great at science and math. Um, then all the evidence would say, great, keep running, keep moving, keep cycling, because he's going to do even better at science and math if he's active, right? And, and the evidence is pretty, pretty irrefutable at this point that, that, you know, ties those things together, that brain activation, all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, there's so many positive outcomes by being active when they're young, and you set these sort of habits for life, it, it's, it's really only detrimental things by discouraging your kids from movement, PE and sport. Yeah, great. Yeah, I would really encourage my listeners to listen to your podcast. I think it was episode number 69, where you interviewed, I'm going to mess up his name. Uh, he's a phys ed teacher. Oh yeah, Paul Zintarski. Yes, yeah. yeah. That was yeah, a great from- episode where you really highlight all the research out there and it's really quite sad that many schools haven't adopted, you know, incorporating PE as part of a more part of a daily school routine. So yeah. Yeah. Or there's a book spark by a guy named John Rady, who's a Harvard researcher um, who was looking at children with ADHD and, um, how we can help them and, you know, tie a lot of it to exercise, mm-hmm. um, which, which again makes sense <laughs> just from like a common sense perspective. Like we have kids who are moving fast and can't sit still. Um, should we get them out to recess or should we make them sit in a seat more? Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't think common sense says make them sit in a seat more, but sadly our educational system says make them sit in a seat more. Right. Right. And I know, not to switch gears again, but I know, you know, a lot of our listeners, they, they, they're experiencing the same struggles that I think Ryan as a parent and a coach is. And I know he, he comes from actually the same town that, that my husband was coaching at. So it's sort of ironic that he's, he's seen it play out at the youth level. Ryan, do you want to do you want to comment about some of the work that you've been doing and and go from there? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's um, you know, one of the, I wanted to start with the common theme that we've um, we see and John speaks about often, which is winning. You know, and winning really trumping trumping everything, which you know, obviously we know the downfall or the downsides to all of that. Um, and to refer with a direct question to John, you know, with lots of coaches and parents are only participating with the goal of their kids winning, you know, my wife, like, and I, my wife and I like to sing the song, um, glory days by Bruce Springsteen, when <laughs> activity, you know, and I won't sing on the podcast today, but, um, you know, how do you see that approach like winning, trumping everything else in sport affecting the actual child involved, especially if the child, you know, it's a parent coach or, you know, yeah it's tough i mean because again we we've we haven't found or many people haven't found a better way to measure was this worth our time than did we win right that's that's like the easiest um 
analytical thing to measure. Oh, three to two, we won. So clearly this was worth the three hour drive because we won. Um, <clears throat> and, and so I think what some organizations are doing a good job on is, is starting to say, what's our higher purpose than winning? How do we attach this to something? Because again, kids want to win. They like to win. Naturally, they're going to compete. They understand the point is to put the ball in the basket or put the ball in the back of the net. But you know, from that perspective, it's, you know, it's like, you know, usually about three minutes after the game's over, the kids are like, sweet, what's for lunch? And it's the coaches and the parents who can't get over the fact that we just lost the game. So kids actually have this great perspective of, you know what, I'm in sport, which means sometimes I'm going to win and sometimes I'm going to lose. And the parents who say to me, well, you know, the game's all about winning, right? That this is what it's about. I'm like, okay, uh, let me just ask you. And I'll ask like an audience of people, raise your hand if you've run a marathon, right? And there's usually, depending on the community, a handful of people to maybe more than a handful who have. And I say, great. Did you sign up to win? <laughs> because, you know, I'm not seeing any Kenyans in the room, right? So you probably weren't going to win the race, but did you get something out of training and, and, and getting better and, and, and achieving a goal. Yes. Well, why do you think your kids can't do that as well? Right. That they can understand, Hey, we didn't win, but I can still get something out of this. And so th th this is the challenge. And I think deep down, right. We strip it away. Most parents, the vast, vast majority, like they get that, but sometimes their behavior doesn't reflect it kind of to go back to Lisa's first point. Yeah, sure. Yeah, good point. So speaking to the higher purpose that you noted earlier, you know, and with my organizational hat on, you know, how can an organization <laughs> ride the line of implementing good policies to help in that space while remembering, you know, every parent is a coach, coaches are parents, right? And everyone generally is a volunteer, especially at the direct level where we, where we operate and we see a lot of these um, issues that we're talking about today? Well, I, I think first of all, and this is a really big thing for me, volunteerism is not an excuse for a lack of professionalism, mm. right? Especially with something as important as working with children in a highly impactful, emotional place like sports, right? The something that you say or do can stick with the kid and become part of their identity for the rest of their life. So the idea that, well, I'm just a volunteer, so I don't have to train or get certified or, or know this, that to me is silly. Um, and, and, and again, we have plenty of other situations of volunteers where they have to go through training. I mean, certainly it's political season right now and there's lots of volunteers out there and they don't just say, oh, great, you're volunteering. You don't have to know anything about the candidate. Just go out and knock on doors, right? And, you know, my dad was a volunteer firefighter for 50 years, right? Now imagine your house is burning down and the firefighter who pulls up is like, ah, I didn't learn to use the hose, right? Sorry about your house. Like, you know, so we understand that, hey, there's certain volunteer roles in our communities that are really important. And I think we have to start looking at coaching as, as a much bigger one. And, and then what we have to do with those volunteer coaches is really, I think, teach them the human aspect of this. Like for most sports, I can hand you 
all right, let's assume it's a 10 week season, two practices a week. You've got 20 practices. I'll hand you five fantastic games based soccer practices and say, run these four times each, right? Similar setup four times each. The kids will love them. They're great. They're going to learn a lot. They're going to have fun because they signed up to play the game. Now, let me teach you about eight year olds. What are the social emotional needs of an eight-year-old? What does he or she need from you as a coach? Because this is not the same thing that you think you needed when you were 18 playing high school football, um, you know, running gassers all day, right? Eight-year-olds don't need a warm-up, right? They don't warm up for recess. They don't need to warm up for soccer, right? They can jump right into it. And so I think these are things where as organizations, we can help our volunteers by saying, run this practice. It works well. It's been vetted. And let me teach you about kids. And, and, and so these are, you know, it's, it's just too important and too impactful to, to use the excuse that, Oh, we can't train them. They're volunteers. Mm. Yeah. Good point. So do you find that organizations and individuals and all these people that make up the ecosystem of sport, right. In a, in an area, do you ever find that they say the right things, but then do the opposite, right? So we have an issue with, we have a bunch of policies that we try to put in place that are just solely beneficial to the child and the participant and the people that are involved in signing up for, to, for their, their involvement to coach and to, you know, help referee and things like that. They, they say the right things, but then when they actually get in, in the game and it's game time, it's like a switch goes off in their head and they're a completely different person. They just forgot everything that we've, try to accommodate or try to try to get across in that space to them, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, those are opportunities as organizations to step in and help that coach. Right. And this comes back to training. Like, Hey, I, I saw what you're doing out there. That's not it. Let me help you. Right. Let, let me help you look at the kids right now when you're screaming at them. And so um, you know, far too many organizations, they're just happy to get volunteers. And then, you know, they sort of like, okay, soccer season started, let's move on to basketball. Um, and we just leave it. And I think this is where um, we can be better. And what's interesting is uh, some of the organizations that we've worked with and, and others that just follow these good policies, um, the more training they give their volunteer coaches, the easier it is for them to find volunteer coaches, not harder easier because people come back because they're like, Oh, I'm supported here. Right. The league has my back um, versus uh, situations where the league just goes sweet. There you go. We're done. Sorry. Tough luck. I gave you your bag of balls and pennies. We just cut you loose for the season. So I think this is um, something that a lot of people push back and says, we can't ask them to training. It's already hard enough to find coaches and yet the evidence seems to show that um, actually when you ask more of your volunteers, they're more likely to volunteer again next year. That's interesting. Do you find that, the, that more training also helps alleviate problem coaches and downstream, you know, downstream issues where, you know, you have, you know, say a team that's putting in, you know, that's there to win as opposed to distribute playing time equally. You know, do you, do you see that tie with training as well? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And I mean, I, again, I think things like playing time are, you know, policies where 
leagues or clubs really have to walk the walk and not just talk the talk, you know, that, Hey, if you come to practice and if you make this commitment, you're going to play half of every game. And and I, I don't think it's, it's that hard to do. So many of them are afraid of, of holding people accountable for that. But again, we know that when kids don't get playing time, they walk away. Um, and so, you know, can we make rules in our league, like in Belgium, for example, in soccer, you know, even though the professional game plays in halves in Belgium up through 14 years old, they play quarters. And the rule is no substitutions in a quarter. And if you don't play the first quarter, you have to play the second. And if you don't play the second, you have to play the third. So basically they take the, the playing time thing out of every coach's hand, Right and say, well, every kid has got to play two of the four quarters and you don't have a choice. So now how are you going to coach? You're going to just coach your best eight kids or are you going to coach everyone? Because guess what? Players nine through 14 are all playing half a game every game and you don't have a choice. And, and all of a sudden that changes the dynamic and, and, and it, it also changes the sort of, I think the pressure on the coach because if the coach has a choice, do I put Johnny in and he puts Johnny in and they lose, everyone goes, why did Johnny go in? The coach doesn't have a choice, (laughs) you know? Well, why do you put Johnny in? Because he has to, because the rules state that that kid has to play. Well, guess what? You know, Johnny, you know, there's probably less pressure on the coach. Now the coach can be creative in how he structures his team and his substitutions or her substitutions. So that, hey, maybe in that last quarter, I have the opportunity to get my best kids on the field. Okay. So when your organization, you know, can comes into another organization to either analyze or, you know, to implement and help find their holes and implement good policy for that organization, do you find that some people are resistant to that? You know, of course. I mean, some people are resistant to, um, you know, not smoking in public, right? <laughs> but it doesn't mean that it's not wrong, right? Um, so I, I think I, I think there's always going to be resistance. You'll always have a percentage of people who are fantastic and do everything. And you'll always have a percentage of people who will resist everything you do and will insist that six-year-olds should play year-round full pad, full tackle football, in spite of all the evidence, right? And but I think most people are in the middle. And 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 so go for the, you know, chase after the people in the middle. Those are the the people who can be convinced one way or another. So, you know, when when we come into an organization, what our typical sort of time with them looks like is a parent education and parent engagement piece. How do you help your child walk down this path of sports? Um, And then how does that apply to life? Coach training, right? Because that's it. And then, and then sometimes board leadership or in high schools, we'll do team captains or the kids. But I, I think we have to think of like, right. Sport development is this stool and it has multiple legs and one of them's the coaches and one of them's the parents and one of them's the kids and maybe one is the administration. If we remove a leg or maybe one of them's the officials, right? If we remove a leg, the stool falls down. Mm. And so we have to um, 
help all. So, so I certainly get some that bring me in and say, only talk to the parents. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. But I'm just telling you right now, the first question that I'm going to get in Q and a is this is great. Who's talking to the coaches, <laughs> right? So we all need alignment and, and any, like you said, you put your organizational hat on, there has to be alignment, right? Your salespeople have to be aligned, you know, in purpose, and vision with your engineers in purpose and vision with your leadership and purpose and vision with your HR. If there's not alignment, it doesn't work. And uh, this is especially true in sport development. Great. So with regards to what changing the game can do for communities at a local level, you mentioned that, that you work with, with all systems. How could a, community or an organization reach out to you guys and what would that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, like the mothership is changing the game project.com. So that is the link to everything from our social media pages to the way champions podcast to our books, online courses, things like that. And then we have organizations that just say, Hey, great. Like, you know, we, you have the 60 minute, you know, how to be a great sport parent course. Can we just get that for all our members? Right. And we, you know, we, I mean, we basically give that to people for like a dollar or two a person, right? Like we make it super cheap. We just want to help. Um, same thing with our coaches. We have, you know, a transformational coaching course and that can go all the way up to, you know, or, or let's start, right. The basic level is, wow, I've got hundreds of thousands of free words of blog posts written. Take them, post them on your website. Uh, just you know, give credit where credit's due to 150 plus podcasts. All that's free, right? Low, low point of entry is you know, online courses and then all the way up to, you know, hey, here's a one-day event to ongoing consulting where will come in sometimes and do two days of just coach training followed by some parent stuff. But we have to think about, you know, most organizations, you know, there's a big percentage of their people. Certainly every two years, you're almost at a 50% turnover, right? Because of attrition and your, your new kids coming in. So, you know, Parent education is not a one-time thing. Coach education is not a one-time thing. These are ongoing things um, that, you know, what, what I always love is when someone appoints like, hey, I'm going to be the point person for you. How can we use your stuff once you leave? And, you know, here's the stuff. Drip feed it. Add it to your newsletter. Put it on your website. Continue training your coaches. Um that, that those are the organizations that make a difference. And, and what we've seen now after being in existence in a number of years and certainly organizations like the positive coaching Alliance and others have seen this as well. When you do these things, when you train your coaches, well, when you engage your parents, you create developmentally appropriate child centered person centered athletic experiences, your re player retention goes up. Um, your coach retention goes up, your official retention goes up, um, your board volunteerism goes up um, because people say, wow, this is a great organization to be a part of. Um, and if you do the opposite of those things, well, the opposite thing happens as well. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, certainly, you know, 
where you're talking about investing in the volunteers, I think it sounds like the Change the Game project has a lot of great resources to incorporate some of those trainings into getting the season going. So I think that's that would be a great tool for a lot of communities. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, you know, you go to the website or, you know, you just email me, John, J-O-H-N at changingthegameproject.com. We'll make it work for you, right? Um, you know, I got into this to make a difference. These courses exist. You know, we've got, you know, organizations on, you know, Native American reservations and stuff that we've just given it to. Like, just take it, use it, <laughs> you know, because it's a, it's all there. As, as long as you're not going to create a logistical nightmare for me of, of, of people who, who can't find their password, you can have it. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Um, so before we sort of close, I want you to talk a little bit about the know your role campaign and what mm-hmm. it means, because I, I feel like it sort of summarizes all the work that you're doing and, and what parents and coaches need to hear. Well, yeah, and this to me is is I think one of the most important things. Um, certainly, right when you show up at a sporting event, you can have one role, right? And, and your choices are: you can be a participant, right? You can be the athlete, you can be a coach, you can be an official, or you can be a fan. And problems arise when you try to be more than one of those things. So when fans officiate or coaches officiate, (laughs) bad things happen, right? Um, I I would say the only, I've had a few people point out to me that actually with really young kids, it's cool when the referee also coaches a little bit and helps. And I would agree with that, right? That's helpful. Like, hey, you know, stand in the batter's box, right? Don't stand on home plate. That's going to hurt, right? So like things like that that where umpires or officials can help. But when you work within your role and I coach and that's all I do, then that's great. When I'm a fan and I cheer and don't coach from the sideline, that's what the players want me there to do. Um, When I'm there to play, I just got to play. And so I think these are, you know, understanding that is, is, is such a huge thing. And, and, you know, here in Oregon and Southern Oregon, they came out with this great, um, uh, Southern Oregon Sports Commission, this whole know your role campaign and they interviewed kids and I, I love it. Like, I think it's so important that um, if we can remember to do that every time we go to our kids sporting event, uh, we let them play. We're just the fan or we're just the coach or we're just the official. That, that's when good things happen. Yeah. And I'll definitely link to some of those videos because they really are powerful, especially to hear from the children's perspective. Well, yeah, I mean, let's face it. I've never in speaking to God at this point, probably well over a hundred thousand kids in my years as a speaker, I've yet to have a kid ever say to me, it's super helpful when my dad yells at the ref. Right. And so, (laughs) you know, so understanding that I think is just goes a long way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So can you share for your, our listeners one parenting win moment that you either had with your own kids or the kids that you coached? (laughs) Um, This was a good one. This was a good one um, as well. Uh, I'll tell a a parenting win moment that feeds back to sort of parenting losses. I remember a couple years ago, my son was, uh, his soccer coach had challenged them all to juggle the ball 40 times or something. 
and they had to video it and, and give it to their coach. And so I, my son was out in the backyard and he wasn't getting it and he was getting more and more frustrated and more frustrated and whatever. And, and to the point where he was like, had tears in his eyes and I went out back and I'm like, TJ, why don't you just stop? He's like, no, I, I have to do this. And, and every part of me, right. As a parent, we see our kid upset. We just want him to feel better. Um, I said, no, no, just come in and you can come back out later. He's like, no. And every part of me want to say, you know what, TJ, stop. Give me the ball. Come on inside. And I said, okay, no problem. Is there any way I can help you? And he said, get me a glass of water. <laughs> right. And, and, and so I get him a glass of water and 40 minutes later, I like looked, I was like folding laundry and I looked out my window and I saw him slam the ball against the ground. And I'm like, wow, he either just did it or he's even really upset. And so I went out and I'm like, TJ, what happened? He goes, I did it. I did it. And I videoed it and everything like that. Right. And this was just this cool moment of like, I, I saw my son come to a ceiling and by stepping away, I let him break through that. And he owned that. Right. I didn't make him go out there and I didn't artificially control it. And, and so I thought that was cool. Um, the lesson that also came out of that, sadly, later on, was that this was a super proud moment for him, and he videoed it, and he sent the video through my email to his coach, and the coach never once acknowledged that he did it. Mm. And so I saw him just get really disheartened, like, wow, I did this. All I needed was a congratulations. And so super important to go back, you know, to to the points about coaching as well. Like, you know, you're, you have a powerful impact. So, you know, your words matter. So when you ask kids to do something, acknowledge, acknowledge their wins as well, because that sticks with them. Wow. That's a, that's a real beautiful story. I, I, I try to teach parents that so much of, you know, sort of stepping back is really where, you know, if they can make mistakes, they're learning. And so, and a lot of times they need that space to, to figure it out themselves. And oftentimes yeah. they do. Yeah. You know, I, I, in, in my new book, Every Moment Matters, I have this whole section uh, that I got from a friend of mine, Trevor Reagan, and, and he says, don't steal the reps. Right. And, and, and so he uses this analogy, right? If you're in the weight room, you know, number eight, nine, and 10, when you're really struggling on the bench press or on the squat, you have a spotter and your spotter is there to encourage you and make sure you don't get hurt, but they don't like throw you out of the way and grab the bar and go eight, nine, 10, right? You have to do eight, nine, 10 to get better. And this is, I think so important for us when we think about our kids in sports, don't steal the reps, right? Those are their reps. We're there to make sure they're safe. We're there to make sure they don't get injured. Um, we're there to get them a glass of water, but don't steal the reps. I love that. I love that. What a great way to end. So I really appreciate you being a part of our show today and we'll definitely link to your website and how folks can get in contact with you if they have questions. So thank you again. And thanks Ryan for being here as well. Thank you both. That was, that was fun. I can't believe we're already done. Great. Wonderful. All right. Have a great day. Bye.
Thank you again to John for joining us today. It was truly an honor. And thank you to Ryan for co-hosting with me as well. Hearing John speak, I really feel like there's hope for youth sports, but it really all comes down to us, the parents. If you're a coach or a parent whose child is interested in sport, you definitely need to read his book. It really should be a requirement for any parent and any coach who is going to be coaching youth sports. There was so much I could have asked him or would have liked to chat about, but I promise you, reading his book, you will not be disappointed and you'll get so many of your questions answered. So for a link to his book, his website, and TED Talk, check out the show notes. I really hope you enjoyed today's show as much as I did, and I hope to chat with you again next week.